0: chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas podcast um, <laughs> my nephew needs
1: me to record see
0: i hate i already hate it i hate it
1: all right hello and welcome back to the chase thomas podcast taping this on a tuesday night uh trill bro dude is here trill bro dude i i love just introducing you that way uh trill bro dude uh let's start off this are are the sixers good we need to have a Sixers conversation. Are we sure? Are we sure Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate? Are we sure? All right. They... Well, first off, yeah. thank,
0: thank you, Bill Simmons, for having me back onto the podcast. Uh, yeah. Is Rosillo or House there? I
1: was wondering. No, no, no <laughs> Rosillo, no House. I got Cleese the dog behind me. She's passed out, so she might join the <laughs> show at some point. Who knows? Are, are we sure? Are we sure <laughs> that Joel Embiid is good?
0: I don't know, House. Um, so, Yes i I think it's fair to question whether the Sixers are good this early into the season mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, I would say they're they're certainly not performing up to the level of their talent so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they will figure it out over the course of the season. I think there are new new pieces that are trying to fit in the mix, figure it out on the fly. We have four new rotation players this year. Only one new starter, but you know, a, a different version of James Harden than we got last year a different version of Tobias Harris, to be honest, and PJ Tucker, who is not Danny green. He's Mm -hmm. probably closer to Matisse Theibel in terms of uh, his impact on the offensive end. So it's been kind of a weird mix of players Mm. and trying to incorporate everyone. And then also you, you can, we can, we can talk all day about, and we'll get to the coach and all that, but like, My whole thing is, like, if Joel Embiid plays the way he does in the first two games, we're not winning many games. Mm. That's kind of what it comes down to, is that when your best player performs the way that he does in the Boston game and in the Milwaukee game, there are very few teams that can overcome your best player just, you know, crapping the bet, as Zach Lowe likes to say. So I think that, so far, it was a little bit concerning... I wasn't concerned after the Boston and Milwaukee game. I was a little bit like, this sucks. I would have liked to win one of these games. But they're two really good teams. And it was uh, opening night for both of them. As it literally was Milwaukee's first game, Boston's first game. I think that, uh, you know, I knew it was going to take some time to figure out stuff. The Spurs game is where I really started to get concerned, where I'm like, okay, why are we just getting out-hustled by a team that should want to get Victor Webb and Yamba next year. Like, why is this happening? So Mm. overall, the panic meter after the Spurs game was at like a four for me. I was at like a one or a two after the first two games. Then I was at like a four. And now the win against Indiana, I'm probably still at around a three or a four.
1: Mm. But
0: there are definitely some issues and flaws with this team that I, I don't know if they're going to be able to work it out.
1: What's been the best 5 man lineup and what do you actually think is the best 5 man lineup they can play? And why does it include uh Gorgi Jang? Why uh, or excuse me G- George Niang? Excuse George me. Niang, Gorgi, yeah. ah, they, yeah. it's a little yeah. confusing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. no.
0: I I understand it. it is they have similar names. They rhyme even. Yes. But um so so far, I mean, I I by the numbers uh, you would be surprised to learn that I, I would be willing to bet that the lineup without Joel Embiid has been our best lineup. Hmm. There there was one game, specifically the Milwaukee game, where when Joel was out, they went on like a 12-0 run in the fourth quarter to come all the way back. James Harden leading that unit. I believe Montrezl Harrell was playing at center. You had Daniel House, DeAnthony Melton, uh, Tobias Harris, or, or P.J. Tucker, one of the two. Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Montrez, it was a small ball five lineup. So it's a very small sample size, but that was so far the best lineup in terms of net rating, Mm. in terms of actually outscoring the opponents. I I would imagine, I would hope that over the course of the season that the best lineup is the starters, (laughs) because if you look at the Joel Embiid era, if you look at James Harden's history... Their starting units usually have a plus 10 to plus 20 net rating. When Harden got here last year, from the time, you know, playoffs, it was a little bit different. But in the regular season, the starting lineup, even when it had Matisse Thibel, it whether it was Danny Green or Matisse Thibel in that fifth starter spot, the Sixers had like the highest net rating of any starting lineup in the NBA. Post-Harden trade. Mm-hmm. Offensively, they were unstoppable. They had like a 123 offensive rating. It was crazy. Now, just to put it in context, it's more like a 116. They're at like a plus eight. They were at like a plus 17 or 18 last year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I would hope it's the starting lineup. I think one of the things about that I hope they figure out over the course of this season is kind of what what lineups work best with Joel, what lineups work best with Harden. Because last year The issue was when you put Harden on the bench, the Sixers really struggled on offense. And when you put Embiid on the bench, the Sixers really struggled on defense. It seems like so far, at least to start the year, those Harden lineups have kind of at least figured out how to outscore the opponent. And especially those small ball lineups, PJ Tucker, where you can space the floor for Harden, you can let him cook. I think that those could be really successful. And I think that the Embiid lineups are basically just going to come down to how how good is Tyrese Maxey as the lead perimeter creator? And how how many 3 and D guys can we put around him? Can Tobias mm-hmm. Harris play with that unit and be a, a viable 3 and D guy? Can uh, Daniel House start actually making threes? Can D'Anthony Melton start making threes? So there, there is a ton of variety and a ton of options that they can do. They have multiple backup center options. They have multiple wing options. I'm just not really sure... I'm hoping that the, the starting lineup is the one that ends up having the best net rating. And I think over time it will.
1: Interesting. Um, how much of this is on doc? Like ever it's the first place you go when there's any kind of struggling with any kind of team. It's you go to the coach, but in terms of what you actually seen this year, TBD, what, uh, how much of it falls on uh, doc rivers?
0: So the first two games, I'm not placing pretty much any blame on doc. Uh, okay. You know, look like, were there things he could have done better? Yes, absolutely. Every coach is going to have issues throughout the course of an 82-game regular season. Once again, Joel Embiid was terrible in both Mm -hmm. of those games. Literally the worst games I've ever seen him play as a Sixer. Like, that one-point game in Toronto, like, you might look at the box score and be like, he scored 25 points. How could he have been that bad against Boston? I'm like, I'm telling you, it was worse than the one-point game that he had against the Toronto Raptors a few years ago. Mm. Like, he was a disaster on defense Com- could not defend anyone in space was mm-hmm. dropping way too deep into do- drop coverage so guys could walk directly into pull up mid-range shots pull up threes no one could fight over screen so it was just they were it was basically just whatever the celtics wanted at any time
1: mm-hmm.
0: offensively anytime he touched the ball and faced a double team he could not read anything. He was not able to get the ball out. He was not able. He, he turned the ball over a ton, which led to a ton of points on the other end for Boston. He was a disaster,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: he was a disaster in the third quarter of the Bucks game too. So, if Embiid is going to play as poorly as he did, I have I can't blame the coach at all. Hmm. the The Spurs game is where I was like, this. The coach has to have some some. Mm-hmm. Take some response. Hey,
1: the Spurs are actually good. People forget. I've been saying for for months the Spurs actually good. Devin Vassell just a lot of fun. Uh, we're already at that point in the NBA season where people are like here's some Devin Vassell. Like he's yeah, he's sure. Fun. Yeah. they're playing loose. They're playing free. I love they're that. Not. Like
0: they're gonna win twenty
1: five. <laughs> like let's be honest like like this is this is what happens like you yeah. know young
0: teams come out and they they feel like they're being underestimated and once yeah. again they don't want to tank the team yeah. the players on those teams want to prove themselves and they want to prove that they belong in the NBA so they have yeah. no invested interest in tanking it's the front offices and the coaches and
1: everyone you start moving pieces where it's like oh they're doing a little bit too well all right doug mcdermott and uh, Josh Richardson. Like, yeah you're you're getting traded like you're out the yeah. door so we have to play more young that's the thing with the jazz where people are yeah. like blown away by the jazz right now and I said before the year, and I'm like, well, if they keep this roster together, they're not going to have the worst team. Like, they're only playing competent rotation players right now. Sure, like, yeah. They're, they're, not they're young.
0: They're pretty deep. They don't have yeah. star power, but they have a solid one through nine. They're a that's, pain
1: in the ass. You don't want to play yeah. them on a Tuesday night. You're like, this sucks. I, I hate this. Same, I don't want to play you guys.
0: It's the same reason why the Raptors, despite, like – Never having a superstar except for Mm -hmm. one year are always really, really good Mm -hmm. because that their rotation one through eight is always solid to good NBA players. And the power of that is that, you know, you're going to go up against some teams that are top heavy. And if they have guys out or guys banged up or just guys who like the Sixers the other night against the Spurs just look like they didn't want to be there then you're going to have some nights where you upset some teams that people might perceive as better than you. But the, like back to the doc thing, I, I, I think the Spurs game was the one time that I really started to be like, okay, like what is going on here? Clearly there is some sort of disconnect happening between the coach and the players. If the Spurs, one of the things that happened in the Boston game and not as much in the Milwaukee game, but like even in the Milwaukee and the Indiana game, the offensive numbers might not look great for those teams, but they were getting wide open looks and just missing. So the Sixers perimeter defense and the Sixer and that might be a roster construction issue. That might be a uh, Joel Embiid is out of shape and we're playing a drop coverage and we're, we're not playing him at the level as much and things that he was able to do last year when he was in better shape and he was injured this off season. That might be a number of things. James Harden and Tyrese Maxey at the point of attack is not going to always have great results, but I, I do think that like the the thing that I've been saying about Doc, and I by the way I know you're a Hawks fan. Mm. I've been saying get rid of Doc since the Hawk series. I'm just like I've seen are they going say
1: since Doc was a Hawk like just get yeah rid of no movies. that's what we talked about here. last yeah. time it was, mm-hmm. yeah
0: and but my thing is like if you're if you want to win a championship I don't think Doc Rivers should be your coach like I just don't think that he has the ability to now look if he gets the 08 Celtics roster again Mm. then sure maybe he can win a championship but he's not lifting your ceiling any higher he might lift your floor a little bit higher because he's good at motivating guys and getting guys to play up to a higher level and whatever and that's been his whole thing throughout his career but if that's happening in the spurs game that's he's clearly not doing that he's not doing Mm. his job he's not a brilliant x's and o's guy he's not a great like I I, I'm just trying to figure out what he really does is my whole thing. And if his whole thing
1: is you're trying to office space, our guy,
0: I know I literally just had Derek Bonder on my podcast the other day. And he was like, it's literally, what would you say you do around Like, like that, that is what I feel like with doc, where the, the thing that doc has always been really good at is getting through to players, Mm. making sure guys are in the right spots, getting them, getting the most out of their talent but he's not going to scheme you to a win like Eric Spolcher or Ty Lue or one of these guys that's like has a system that's proven. So because of that, when you're getting into year three with doc and the message might start to fade a little bit and the star players are kind of like, what is, what is this guy talking about? Then that's where you have to seriously consider moving on because.
1: And you have two good in-house options, right? Like you have Sam Cassell who I'm still surprised has never gotten a head coaching shot yet. And then Dave Yeager who, you want to talk about like the the floor raiser whatever you have to say about Dave Yeager he's like the eastern conference Mike Malone where you're just like I'm not sure like the defense is always good they always figure it out it looks clunky you're not sure what they're like you said just the Tony, you know what that coach is you know what certain you know what you're going to get out of Eric Spalestra you know like for a lot of different teams what these coaching steps are going to bring out and what they're going to try and do but I think Jaeger was just one of those Kings fans. It was like, uh, are you sure you, are you sure you don't want to have Dave Jaeger? Like, I understand you want to have a more fun offense, but like dude, won games like Dave Jaeger yeah. wins games. Like he's yeah. a, he's a floor the, raiser. The problem with the guy like Jaeger, who, who mm-hmm. he's
0: the complete opposite of, is it Jorger or Jaeger? I can never remember. I but, might
1: just have always gone Jaeger just because I think it's Jorger,
0: yeah. but I, I is I, it Jorger? it might be. I mean, it's spelled that way, but I, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I have uh, no idea.
0: I honestly can't I can't even remember, but Dave, they Dager, def- come on the pod.
1: Let's figure this out, <laughs> yeah. you and me, Chase, up the podcast. Let's go.
0: They definitely have multiple guys that they could bring up. I think he, he, Dave's is like the opposite of Doc yeah. in that, like, he's the X's and O's guys that doesn't want to have relationships with his players at all. Like he's literally gone on record being like, we're coworkers. Like I don't, like, I don't want to hang yeah. out with De'Aaron Fox. off the <laughs> Like, he's like, that's not really my thing. Like it's a Saturday night. I'm chilling at home. Like whatever. Yeah. Whereas doc is more like he gets like really, I think Joel Embiid and James Harden like doc. Like, mm-hmm. I think that there is a level of respect there for him because he was a player. He made an all-star team. He's won a championship. I think that most players, except for Ben Simmons, like Doc Rivers as a head coach uh, until they don't, <laughs> is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say here. Is like, you know, I think him and Chris Paul got along great, then they had a falling out. I think that a lot of guys over the years, uh, Ray Allen, like there are plenty of examples of guys who had great relationships with Doc when they were winning and everything was going great. And the second that there was some adversity, maybe their relationship fell by the wayside. And that is something that, if that is what is ends up happening with the Sixers, that's mm. where I think the Sixers could end up making a move where they're moving off Doc. Uh, mm. That would have to come from James Harden or Joel Embiid. Like Derek Bodner said that on my podcast the other day. He's like, unless one of those two guys is going to Maury or Maury thinks that his job is in trouble,
1: mm. those
0: are the two only two ways that they move on from Doc in the middle of the season. But if mm. it is truly like, like it was just a bad start, the team couldn't hit a shot the defense the pieces didn't fit but they figure it out over the course of a season i think that doc will probably finish the year and they'll the it's kind of my thing is like there's kind of only two buttons left to push if you're mm. the sixers one is fire doc rivers and one is trade tobias harris i didn't
1: say trade maxi
0: no i, I well it depends who are you getting back because i yeah. personally am so invested in uh, you know, Maxi. better sadly here <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that I, I I, think that if you're trading Tyrese Maxi, it has to be for an all NBA level player. And the reason I say that is because that's really your last move. Like, cause if you miss on that and then Maxi goes on to be a multiple time all-star and he's still on his rookie contract for the next this year and next year, and you're moving on from him and you're not getting back a, jimmy butler or kevin durant or someone that is like a top 15 top 20 player like there were debates whether we should trade him for donovan mitchell over the summer and i was like look if tyrese maxey has the same career as donovan mitchell then that's a massive one he hit his hundred percentile like -hmm. he hit the highest end possible outcome for him i didn't think that the the mitchell Embiid. Uh, Harden fit was good enough to really justify trading Maxi for him. I also don't think the Jazz were really interested in getting Tyrese Maxi. I think they wanted picks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, uh, but I remember having arguments, and I'm the number one Maxi guy, being like, he'll probably never be as good as Donovan Mitchell, and I'm fine with never trading him for Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. I would not be fine if we got to the point where it's like, all right, we clearly need something to happen here, and there's a top twenty player who I view as a good fit with those two with Harden and Embiid and and then they're passing on that. Then I would be like, okay, what are we doing here? Really? Because like we have to optimize the last years of Harden. We have to optimize the prime of Joel Embiid because if all of those things, those last three things, trading Tobias, Maxey, and firing Doc don't work, then you just have to admit Joel Embiid and James Harden just aren't good enough to win a championship. So that's kind of where uh, the crossroads is going to be over this next year or two. And We'll see. I I don't think they're going to speed up the process unless this year's truly a disaster. But if uh, if things really go off the rails, I think they'll be trying to move, make every move that they possibly can because I think this is an extremely crucial year for the Sixers.
1: Yeah, and I also just wonder just the thing with Maxi. It's not even just it's not really his fault, but his usage. is, I think the well, last I saw it was twenty two percent right now. Yeah, and like you said, with the, this was something the Hawks um, were going through as well, where. Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter or whoever it was with Trey's usage there was just a really difficult path to maximizing any of these high picks around Trey and I mean the Mavs figured that out and they're like yeah we're we're moving on like we're just (laughs) we're going vets only around uh around uh Luka Doncic because like he's just the oxygen is just so much when you have that kind of high usage guard that I mean, I don't know if you've watched any of the Hawks yet this year, but it's a little clunky. Uh, Trey's not sure. shooting the ball well. Um, DeAndre Hunter is not going to be a star. Cam Reddish is out the door. John Collins, obviously not going to get the looks. Yukan Kongwu is not getting the looks, and you have Capella blocking him. It's just – it's hard, I think, for fans to see Like where I think – with maxi i just wonder where is the path to him getting the usage necessary to become like you said the 100 percentile is donovan mitchell right. i don't think there's a path on this roster over the next couple of years and these years are so critical for a young player to either become that ne- that guy or they're 25 and it's over and they're just a role player from here on out so sure. you're kind of it's very very difficult for teams to tote that line with players like maxi because i mean you 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 want to give him every opportunity to be a star, but it's also like, okay, you want to have the conversation uh, with James Harden or Joel Embiid saying that your your usage is going down and we really have to make sure that Maxie's a third star? No, it's not happening. So, I don't know. I I, I just struggle trying to figure out what a team like the Sixers should do with Maxi because you have that upside, but it's also like, I I don't see the path to him getting to that 100 percentile because he's blocked a little bit.
0: So, truth three things with this mm-hmm. the first thing is that the difference between cam reddish and all those guys that you named mm. while you know john collins may be a little bit different he's a really good off ball player But Maxie's one of the best off ball players in the nba and it's mm-hmm. not really discussed that much like the creative ways and this might actually go back to doc rivers and maybe a little bit goes back to james harden and Joel Embiid as well because they need to make it a priority to make sure that he's involved because anytime you have any sort of heliocentric star whether it's the Trey Young's or the, the James Harden's there's going to be a little bit of, okay, so we just stand around and wait for this guy to cook and, you know, hope to hit an open three or whatever. But last year when they first got Maxi, they were using him really creatively off the ball. And so Mm -hmm. far they have not used him creatively off the ball at all. Even honestly, one of the ways that they would, there were two different ways that they did it last year. One, they would set, they would set Maxi up in the corner. Mm-hmm. And anytime that Harden's defender started to cheat off of Maxi, he would hit Maxi with a pass and Maxi is just like a speeding bullet. So he got downhill immediately and was able to either generate uh, an advantage for himself, get to the hoop, or generate an advantage for whoever was in the paint, Joel Embiid or Paul Reed or whoever, and just mm-hmm. dump it off to them. And then the other thing that they would do is they would constantly, they would let him set up the offense sometimes. So he was kind of used as like a little bit of a distraction to get other guys into their spots. Mm-hmm. And they would have him move a ton off the ball when he didn't have the ball. So mm. they would, they would run him off screens. They would do, do little, uh you know, like uh, Iverson cuts that they were doing for him and Seth Curry last year to get them involved when they did not have the ball. And that was a way to keep them kind of active but this year it's been a lot of let's put Maxi in the corner. And I honestly, like, part of it is James Harden, you know, being as, as, as kind of back to where he was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not Houston James Harden, but kind of like a, a version of the Brooklyn Nets Harden we saw at first. Uh, and I think that, like, you can't use Tyrese Maxi like he's Danny Green. Like, you just can't let him sit in a corner the whole game. Mm-hmm. So – The real next steps in his development will be when James Harden is on the bench, because the last few games we've just been running those those Harden, uh, I'm sorry, those Embiid Maxi lineups. And honestly, Maxi has not taken advantage of them. Like, Mm. Maxi himself has to be called on to be aggressive. It didn't really happen until the end of the Boston game. It didn't happen until the end of the Pacers game last night, and he couldn't buy a bucket. So, Ultimately, this kind of comes down to how aggressive Tyrese Maxey wants to be when he has the ball Mm -hmm. and how much better will he get as a passer? Because as good as he is at scoring, as good as he is at moving off the ball, as good as he is at shooting, as good as he is at everything that he's good at, he's still not advanced as a passer at all. So the development thing kind of comes down to the coaching staff, Harden and Maxey himself really kind of learning more advanced reads because when he has the ball, like, sure, we can take the ball out of James Harden's hands. But at the same time, like James Harden is the best decision maker on the team. I joked last night on Twitter. I said, if it weren't for Harden, this might be the dumbest team in NBA history. Like the the amount of horrible passes, the amount of stupid fouls, the amount of just boneheaded decisions – Last night, George Niang and Paul Reed were fighting with each other for a rebound, Mm -hmm. and they were jostling back and forth, not realizing that they were on the same team. Niang drops the ball, uh, Duarte picks it up, hits a mid-ranger. I'm like, these kind of things that happen are why James Harden always has the ball.
1: Mm.
0: Joel Embiid is turning the ball over a ton when he touches it. He's been inefficient to start the year. He's kind of bounced back a little bit on offense over the last two games, but Until Maxi gets to the point where he is that like high level advantage creator for himself and others, I think that you just need to kind of try to optimize him as much off the ball as possible and have him work off of Harden and Embiid until he gets there because he's not going to get there. He's not going to get there just force feeding him reps on the ball. Because the, the advancement with passing stuff, like you, you got to work on that in the offseason. You got to work on that in practice. You got you to gotta be prepared for all that. And then once you are up to a certain level, then I think you deserve more of the primary creator reps that I, I don't think right now he's ready for. I think he's still at best a secondary creator, you know, attacking defenses when they're on a slant. Uh, off the ball when he's able to get get and go in, in transition but he still kind of has a long way to go as a on-ball primary creator that can lead an offense
1: so there you have it TBD uh Tyrese Maxey he sucks um no he's better sadly I still have all of my Tyrese
0: Maxey stop and I will never let it go I I'm telling you over the offseason I was yeah. digging up stats from the Maxi's second season. And I'm not uh-huh. saying he is these players at all. I'm, mm-hmm. I I think they're very different. Michael players.
1: Jordan, Kobe Bryant.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm not saying that he's these players at all. Cause they're all very different players mm-hmm. in, in different ways. But if you compared Maxie's age 21 season stats to guys at the same age as him, it mm-hmm. was like Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, Jamal Murray. So, while he is a very different player and all of those guys are probably more primary on ball type creators. I think Maxi has potential to be one of the best second or third options in the NBA. And it's really up to him, the coaching staff, Harden and Embiid to figure out how we can optimize him the best, how we did at the end of last year, which made the offense at the end of the regular season and in three or four of those Toronto games, just absolutely unstoppable.
1: Uh, what has been one common thread through each Sixers game that you've jotted down? What is one thing that you have found is consistent with every game so far? You want to go negative or positive? Uh, let's go negative. You're too, the the maxi stuff is too glowing. Like we got to, we got to, people love the negative. People love to harp on the oh, negative.
0: Duh, duh. All my biggest yeah. podcast, like I just had my <laughs> biggest episode uh, and it was literally, is Doc Rivers on the hot seat? Like that's, people, people love, love that. that stuff. They yeah. love it. They eat it up. Mm-hmm. So negatively, the okay, so I talked about the transition defense earlier. The transition defense, there's a few different factors here. The main one is that when you have a post-up center, Mm -hmm. I think the Nuggets and the Sixers are going to realize how hard it is this year Mm -hmm. with the new take-foul rules, where Mm -hmm. when you are operating your offense out of the post on one end, that those take fouls you used to be able to just like, okay, well, if Joel Embiid misses a shot and he doesn't get back on defense, at least we can foul the other team, send him to the line, whatever, like if they're going to get an advantage. Well, now you can't do that because Mm -hmm. they get the free throw and then they get the ball back. So you're basically giving up more points per possession every single time. And I think that the Nuggets and the Sixers are going to learn in a very hard way that you have to have some sort of alternative. You either have to have Jokic and Embiid completely buying in on getting back and like Embiid and Tobias Harris was doing it last night too. Harden will do it. I guarantee complaining to refs has to wait. It has to wait. You cannot complain to refs or if you do, the other team is, is getting a bucket. They just will. And your commitment on transition defense, when you are using guys that like to operate inside the arc on the other end, they are not able to get back is going to be massive because I think the transition offense is going to be doing numbers this year from a points per possession basis. I think it will probably break the record just due to this new rule. And if that is the case, I think you have to kind of look at how you use these players. Even we're talking about the guys that finished first and second place in MVP last year. Yeah. Like this is this rule is really going to hurt two of the best players in the NBA because. But Giannis the,
1: is like unfazed, like he's the perfect guy for that. Like, sure. yeah, Giannis. Well, is Giannis
0: is. I don't really consider Giannis a a big. Like, I think hmm. he's like a wing big hybrid. Like, he's okay. like he's his Giannis is his own thing. He's a hmm. unicorn. Like, he's the, he's one of the best transition defenders in the NBA. Yeah. Also operates outside. Uh, and and creating from the perimeter way more than Joel Embiid, a little bit more than Nikola Jokic, although Jokic is a little bit more capable of creating from the perimeter than Embiid. But uh, I, I just think that it's going to be an issue because if you watch these games, once again, whether they're complaining about fouls, or it's just like a fatigue thing where they can't get back, like that's the big thing that I think goes back to Doc is like, you need to get through to these players that they need to get back because in the Celtics games and in the Spurs game, it, the the cameramen from NBC Sports Philly couldn't even, they would, they would cut to Joel Embiid or they would cut to the coach on the sideline or whatever, and immediately there would be an open three on the other end. Just outlet pass, open three, outlet pass, open three. And that's going to happen when you're not getting back on transition defense with this new rule with guys that are taking that are a little bit more lumbering and take a little bit to get back. And due to the fact that that is now out the window, it's it's just going to be really messy and something that those teams, especially the Sixers have to kind of adjust to this season.
1: Uh, We'll end on this. Does it get figured out? Are the Sixers going to be okay? And like it's January 1st and the Sixers are a top three seed in the East. What do you think that's ultimately where this goes? It's really hard for
0: me to figure out because before the season, I said on paper, this is the best team of the Joel and era. Mm -hmm. This is the best team. Now they might not have that second guy with Jimmy Butler. If James Harden doesn't get back to the level that he was. And so, so far it looks like he might, Mm -hmm. but the depth of this team is really the strength of this team that (laughs) everyone likes to love. Everyone loves the 18, 19 sixers. And I'm like, that team was not good. Like Mm -hmm. they they had four good top players, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris in the playoffs were actually not very good at all. It was really just the top two that kind of held things together. But like we were playing Mike Scott, big minutes who Mm -hmm. like has never been in a playoff rotation. James Ennis, who was a journeyman. We had no backup center, which famously was the downfall of that team in the Toronto Raptors series. Like, Our I can't. Who was our fifth starter? I can't even. JJ Redick. Okay, yeah. JJ Mm. was JJ's good, but uh, but like the 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 nostalgia for that team uh has always been a little bit weird to me because I felt like if they had kept that team and Mm. they had built on it into the next season, they would have been fantastic. But this team, I was like, my expectations haven't been this high for the Sixers going into a season since the nineteen. Uh, 20 season the COVID season that was a disaster for the Sixers not just because of COVID but because the Al Horford thing didn't work Tobias Harris had a down year Ben Simmons was probably his last really good year in the NBA to be honest and Mm. it was mostly when Embiid was out and we weren't winning a ton of games so like we only won like 44 games we were the sixth seed that year like it was a weird season and that was my fear for this year was that the expectations were going to be that high where they're championship contenders again. And then it's going to come down to these weird fit issues and all of this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And my thing is if Joel Embiid is healthy and he, he can figure out how to get back to that MVP form. I think the Sixers are going to still win like 50 to 55 games. And I think they will hmm. be a, a top three seed in the Eastern conference. If Joel Embiid's foot is really a problem. Mm-hmm. I know this is a little bit of a cop out answer but like that's kind of all it matters to me cuz Harden is is back I think Maxi will figure it out Tobias has been thriving in his new role the fifth starter TJ, PJ Tucker's honestly not a very good fit with the starters mm-hmm. it's not a clean for like Danny Green was a much better fit with that lineup uh and even Matisse Thibel was for stretches of last year even though uh, Thybul can drive me crazy and he's not even in the rotation right now but I would just say I would lean more towards they figure it out and they win 50 to 55 games they are a top three or four seed in the eastern conference then this being a disaster but there are signs right now especially on the defensive end that this thing could go off the rails quick and they 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 might need to make some massive changes
1: we shall see tbd you got merch you got your own show you're all in on your podcast and everything else this year very excited very happy for you sir you got a (laughs) patreon you're all in what would you like to plug as we wrap up here man
0: so, follow you no know ball on YouTube. You can tag me in this if you would like. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah,
1: they have tags now on YouTube. Yes,
0: you can tag me in the title, even you know ball. Which oh, pro, dude. Yeah, I, I started like doing do that, that when people come on the pod. Uh, but yeah, so we're trying to build up our following on YouTube. You can also mm-hmm. subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. If you become a fan of the podcast from there, yeah, subscribe for the Patreon. Check it out. We also got a lot of, we have like some really big announcements coming up about some other things, but I will just leave it at that.
1: Brian Kalancho joining TBD. Yes, Uh, full-time.
0: Co-host. Yeah.
1: There you go. Uh, TBD, nothing but uh, the best for you, my friend. And uh, we'll have to reconnect again soon. (laughs) Thanks, bud. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.